You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLighty. Endoscopy can be used to detect the development of dysplasia in a Barrett's esophagus patient, but can it also help us to help treat early-stage esophageal cancer? Joining us to discuss managing esophageal cancer from the onset is endoscopic therapy. Finally here is Dr. Pratik Sharma, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Kansas City. Welcome, Dr. Sharma. Thank you, Dr. Delegi. It's a pleasure to be here. Pratik, I find this is a whole this is a fascinating topic, and I know it's come a long ways, and I know that you're a leader in this area. I want to ask you, how should we as a gastroenterologist approach a patient who we think has a cancer or a neoplasia inside a Barrett's esophagus? Meaning we look for that. But how do we approach when we think that there's a, a cancer there? That's an excellent question, Mark. And the reason I think it's important is because of the dismal survival of esophageal cancer when it's detected at a later stage. And unfortunately, still the majority of the esophageal adenocarcinomas that we detect are late-stage cancers. I think it's very crucial that we detect neoplasia in Barrett's at an early stage. It starts right from your surveillance endoscopy. I think just like we have now realize that spending more time during a colonoscopy makes us detect more colon polyps. I think the same holds true for detecting dysplasia and early cancer in Barrett's esophagus. So the key that I tell people is to spend enough time in the distal esophagus examining the Barrett's segment very carefully before you start taking your biopsies Now we do have very good high-resolution and even high-definition endoscopes which are available. So starting from the gastroesophageal junction and doing a gradual pullback, examining the Barrett's area carefully would be my first recommendation. So look for any subtle lumps, bumps, erosions, basically looking for anything that is not flat, regular mucosa. And any of those areas should be targeted first for biopsies. And after that's done, then you can start taking your four-quadrant biopsies every two centimeters. So I think, Mark, if we do that, we will have a high accuracy for the detection of neoplasia and Barrett's. Of course, we do have a number of these upcoming new technologies available, and uh, we can discuss those later as well. So, Pratik, what I'm hearing from you is when you're faced with one of these Barrett's patients, you're not simply going in, taking a bite here, taking a bite there, and then going home. Exactly. And for the first time, we actually do have some data, albeit from a retrospective study from the UK, which clearly showed that in patients who had undergone a systematic biopsy protocol had increased detection of both low-grade dysplasia and high-grade dysplasia as compared to what you just said, you know, biopsy here and there. Many times you mentioned 
the lumps and bumps that we see. And frankly, we've heard a lot about flat polyps in the colon and even gastric nodules. But with the esophagus itself, with these lumps and bumps, you know, when I did my training, sometimes we just basically went by them. And sometimes we biopsied them, sometimes we didn't. But it sounds like this is becoming more and more important. Is this simply just biopsying those areas or are there some endoscopic imaging techniques that are now available that could help you? Yes, Mark, there are a number of new emerging techniques that are available. Just to name a few, I mean, you could do simple things such as spraying a dye in the esophagus, you know, just to enhance the contrast between the lesion and the Barrett segment. Then you have other technologies such as, you know, optical chromoendoscopy techniques such as narrowband imaging, FICE, the eye scan, which basically, you know, you don't have to use the dye that you use for chromoendoscopy. And to get even further along those techniques for further characterization, you have confocal endomicroscopy, optical coherence tomography, spectroscopy. So a number of these new technologies are out there. A number of them, like the narrowband imaging and the FICE and the confocal microscopy, are also commercially available. The preliminary studies that have been done, Mark, using all these techniques have had you know, good results in terms of characterizing the type of lesion that you see with the Barrett. And I know of a number of ongoing multi-center randomized trials, which hopefully will give us some better estimates of which one of these techniques would be useful. But if you have any of these special instruments available and you have expertise in that, then I think you can definitely use them because of the, if they're available to you. And they'll all help increase your detection rates of high-grade dysplasia and early cancer, which then can be subjected to endoscopic treatment. Pratik, if you were sitting at a community center and you were looking at an endoscopy and saw some lumps and biopsied them and they came back as, we'll say, esophagitis or chronic inflammation, would you refer a patient like that to tertiary institution if one was available who had some of these technologies? Well, I mean, Mark, if the biopsies came back as inflammation and esophagitis, I think that would not be of concern to me. But if the biopsies from these lumps and bumps showed, you know, so-called quote-unquote atypia, or if the pathologist there read it out as high-grade dysplasia, cannot rule out cancer, or cannot determine the grade of dysplasia or something like that, then I think it would be of concern. And I mean, I agree with you. I mean, that would be a patient that needs further rigorous evaluation. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark DeLegge, and joining me to discuss managing esophageal cancer from the outset. Is endoscopic therapy finally here? is Dr. Pratik Sharma, Professor of Medicine at the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in beautiful Kansas City. Well, Pratik, let's move right on to therapy here. If we find or if we see someone who has Barrett's esophagus and we get a biopsy back that says high-grade dysplasia or perhaps early adenocarcinoma, what do we do? 
Mark, I can tell you what happens at our institution and how we approach these patients because we do get referrals exactly of patients that you just mentioned. I mean, we will start off first by a standard white light endoscopy that we will do at our unit, and we will do the examination that I just mentioned with a standard high-resolution, high-definition white light endoscope. We will locate where the gastroesophageal junction is, We will grade the Barrett segment using the Prague criteria. And for, you know, those of, I think the majority of our listeners are, but those of them who are not aware of these Prague criteria, these are criteria which measure the circumferential and the maximal extent of Barrett's esophagus. So, for example, if somebody has a 5-centimeter Barrett's esophagus in which the distal 3 centimeters is circumferential, then the patient is classified as having a Barrett's Prague C3, in which the C stands for circumferential, and M5, in which the M stands for the maximum limit. And uh, it becomes important about the circumferential extent, and the therapy can be decided based on that, and I'll come to that in a minute. So we'll start off with that. We'll grade it accurately. We'll look for these lumps and bumps that I just mentioned to you, Mark, And then we will use some of these advanced imaging techniques that we have available at our endoscopy unit. And again, the goal for doing that is to determine which are the bad areas, the irregular areas that need further interrogation. Then if we see a lump or bump or if we see an irregular area or an abnormal area with any of our techniques, then what we do is we do a diagnostic EMR or endoscopic mucosal resection of that area. And the reason to do that is you can easily imagine, Mark, that now your pathologist has almost like a two-centimeter specimen to look and make a diagnosis of is it low-grade, is it high-grade, is it intramucosal cancer, is it invasive cancer, as compared to like a three-millimeter biopsy that you may have sent. And it also changes. I mean, there are a bunch of studies, including a meta-analysis, which have shown that as compared to a simple biopsy, once you've done an EMR, you change the diagnosis with the EMR in 40% of the cases. And so that's a huge change. So you may have a patient who on a biopsy may have been called as high-grade dysplasia, and after the EMR, your pathologist may say, well, it's not high-grade dysplasia, it's actually only low-grade dysplasia in which case the patient may not need any further endoscopic therapy. For cancer, it's crucial because your pathologist will be able to tell you whether the cancer is just in the mucosa, in which case it is early cancer and is still amenable to endoscopic therapy, or your pathologist will be able to tell you that, well, it's cancer which is going into the submucosa, in which case that patient no longer is a candidate for endoscopic therapy with a curative intent. So that's the key step right there, Mark. Well, Pratik, I want to talk about the elephant in the living room, which would be esophagectomy, meaning that uh, we know you can do an esophagectomy, not us per se, but a thoracic surgeon, but we know it also has significant morbidity and even mortality. First of all, do you ever recommend esophagectomy for patients with high-grade dysplasia or early cancer? You know, Should we even consider it? Yeah, I mean, Mark, I think that's an excellent uh, point to discuss because 
the standard for all these patients with high-grade dysplasia and intramucosal cancer had been esophagectomy. And now we are seeing the shift towards endoscopic, you know, diagnostic modalities and therapies. But esophagectomy still remains an option. So I don't think we are there as yet to tell the patient that esophagectomy is not an option. I think what we are getting to is a point where esophagectomy should not be the only option for these patients. So I think it's good news for our patients and for the, uh, you know, the GI community as well as the surgeons because now we have options to offer our patients. I mean, once this diagnosis has been made, you go through this diagnostic rating and staging protocols, and then you arrive at a final diagnosis. You know, you sit down with the patient, you get expert opinion from the pathologist who tells you what kind of dysplasia it is, what stage of the cancer it is. You know, you consult with your thoracic surgeon. They have the ability now with minimally invasive esophagectomy to do this procedure, and I think it has to be sort of an individualized approach to a patient and sort of a team approach to a patient. But I think what I like about what I'm seeing now in this field of endoscopic therapy is that finally we have other viable options for patients besides just major surgery. I'd like to thank my guests from the University of Kansas School of Medicine, Dr. Pratik Sharma, for an awesome review of Barrett's esophagus and early stage esophageal cancer. Dr. Sharma, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights. Thank you very much, Mark. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA.